Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. We do thank you for your abundant goodness to us. We do thank you for your mercies, and we thank you for your will in our lives. Holy God, as we bow down today for this episode, again, we would thank you and bless you for our redeemed lives, that you lead us, and that you move us, and that you call us to prayer. And today, Heavenly Father, our God who art in heaven, we want to focus on just one thing. We want to focus on your holiness, and we want to learn to pray with your holiness in mind so that we mature in our prayers and that we're able to see you as you are, realize our place before you, and then give you the glory and respect you deserve. Again, give us ears to hear, help us to understand your word, take any thoughts that I have that would get in the way, Lord Jesus, and make them of no consequence, but teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We commit this time to you, for your name's sake, for your glory, and the satisfaction of our souls. Lest Redeemer, make it so, in accordance with your name and your will. Amen. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Fred, and I'm the host of the podcast. You know that I'm privileged and overwhelmed at being the host of the podcast. There are times when it is kind of a frightening thing to try to teach God's Word or to even dare to teach God's Word. And today is one of those days for me as we look at the very first phrase in Matthew 6-9, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a sobering calling for us to pray and to pray this way. And I have prayed and prayed and prayed leading up to this episode because of the critical and profound nature when we do get on our knees before God and pray to Him. We've been going through this, and now we get to the body of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus set the stage, didn't He, when He said, Pray this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we know that there's an element of worship when we are hallowing His name or honoring His name. But Jesus is also teaching us to care and be committed to calling out to our holy God of the universe, to hallowing his name, to worshiping him for who he is. And at the center of who he is, is his holiness. Set apart, righteous, merciful, all the attributes of God help add up the love of God. They all help add up to the holiness of God, what makes him God and us not God. R.C. Sproul, in his book on the holiness of God, makes the point that the only attribute of God that is emphasized three times in the Bible is his holiness. In English, 
we call those superlatives. And we might say, this is a holy dish, speaking of its use, usefulness. This is a holier dish, and this is the holiest dish. But in Hebrew, they don't have those superlatives. What they do when they want to make a point, when they want to emphasize a point, is they stack the descriptive words together. They also may use synonyms. But when they say things twice in a row, they're saying, listen to this, this is important. And in Scripture, twice specifically, God is called holy, holy, holy. He is God. He's our creator. He's the holy God of the whole universe. He is the only intrinsically holy being in all of creation. When we speak of the elect angels, their holiness is only the holiness God has given them. It's not intrinsic to who they are. I don't believe they can fall anymore, but there was a time they could have fallen with the devil. We as Christians are the same. Whatever holiness we have or will ever have has been granted to us by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not ours, but to God it is his. And you know this passage in Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then, at the end of our Bible, the last biblical book written, Revelation 4, 8, and we've read this before. This is just verse 8 of chapter 4 in Revelation. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So we see in Isaiah's life, and then we see in eternity future, that we will be calling out to the holy God of the universe, Holy, holy, holy art thou God. So that when we approach him in prayer, despite his great love for us, his invitation to call us, there is a weight to our calling, to our prayers. And quite frankly, I don't even keep that in mind all the time. But it is important that we focus on that and that we understand that. He is set apart from us. He's different. He's the creator, the holy creator. Again, the only morally intrinsic God of the universe is our God. And when we think of his love and compassion and patience, all the biblical promises we have, we cannot assume to trade on any of them because he is holy. And in our flesh, we really struggle with the justice of God. But in Romans 1, 20-23, Paul writes this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God 
for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. His holiness envelops all that he is, and we see in Romans 1 that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of men because they did not treat him as holy. They did not recognize or give him the glory he deserves or give thanks, and they turned from his incorruptible holiness and substituted it with a corruptible form of his creation. God is eternal. Not even his creation is eternal except that he deems it so, or as he deems it so. The new heavens and the new earth will be eternal, but not because they are intrinsically eternal, but he is. So God, our Father, is holy, 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 and we really do need to treat him as such. That is why today we are going to begin with what is not treating him as holy. As we approach God, we are going to look at, today, just three inadequate ways we look and approach the holy God of the universe. And when we get done, we will answer the question, and ask it, I guess, now and answer it later, to whom is our Father obligated, and to what end is his obligation? And by that I mean we look for good things from God, we expect good things from God, we want good things from God. And actually, much of the world wouldn't have a problem with God if all that was required of them was to want the good things from God. They wouldn't have a problem with him. But it's when he calls out in holiness and asks us to humble ourselves that we stumble and sin. And today, we are going to look at three things. He is not obligated to us to give us those good things because he is our buddy. He is not obligated to give us those good things because he is our genie. And he is not obligated to us as his creation because he's just a kindly old man in the sky who wants the best for us and smiles at our sin and smiles at our weakness and just lets things go on the way they're going on. The answer to evil in the world is his holiness. And to show his glory fully, there has to be a moral aspect to his creation. And we all want those good things from God. Even as Christians, we can fall into these traps. Even as a Christian, you may think or act or pray sometimes like God is obligated to you because he is your buddy. He's not your buddy. He's not my buddy either. He's the holy God of the universe. And he has condescended. He didn't have to do any of this, but he has condescended. Once we rejected him, he then lowered himself, paid through his blood for our sins to redeem us, so that we will, by faith, abide in him throughout eternity. And to reinforce this, he doesn't look down and says, there's a fine fellow or a fine young woman. I'm going to give her or him excellent stuff because I like them. I want them to like me. I want to be their buddy, so I'll give them some good stuff. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. God does not see the good in us. He sees sin. He sees we're trapped in our sin, but he sees our sin. We are culpable. We are accountable for our sins, and yet he's moved with compassion to make our way. He himself 
in the person of the Son, became our propitiation for our sin. He can't just ignore it. He sees it. It's real. It's not because we're nice people. And you know these verses as well. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in ages to come, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we see from that passage, he didn't choose us because we were such wonderful people. He chose us because he is a wonderful God. And he saved us by grace, not by who we are or what we've done, but by who he is and what he has chosen to do for us. He is not our buddy. He's the holy God of the universe. And we do have access to the throne room, but it is the throne room. We are not his buddies. He's not obligated to us because he's going to act as our genie, our wishmaker, our father, our God, the holy God of the universe is not at our beck and call. We're not going to get just the good stuff because we talk to him just right. Again, that's the meaningless repetition, the words without meaning. It's not a magic formula, and we cannot take his promises as our personal wish list. With all the wonderful promises he's given us, he is still our God. He is still holy, and he is not in the business of just giving us stuff even good stuff. We are going to use one of the verses that I have heard taken out of context almost as much as don't judge. It's Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And for the most part, even Christians can slide into the idea They can forget the second phrase, to those who are called according to his purpose. We can slide into, and I have looked at God as my, in the past, personal wish giver. He doesn't say, Fred, because you're enamored of 2014 Corvettes, you get one. Not a Corvette, not a car, not any physical or temporal thing is this precisely meant, this verse. At one point, In the job I retired from, I was asked by one of the agents that I was training if I ever played the lottery. And I said, no. And she said, look at all the good you could do if you won. And I said, you know what? I might do good and I might not do good. And I think the lottery at the time was $350 million or something like that. What I told her is, if God wants me to have $350 million, he knows how to get it to me. I don't have to run out to try to get it. If I needed it, or if he thought that was best, I would have it. And it's obviously not best for me. He's not our genie. 
so we can't get just what we want by formula, or whether it's good or not, or through manipulation, or magic words, or even wringing our hands and begging with our emotions. Many years ago, I had a friend, and they were looking, they were planning on doing a very compassionate thing. And I was asked, God has to answer that prayer, doesn't he? This is what we want. This is why he has to answer that prayer, doesn't he? And I had to say, you know what? I don't know why he would say no. That doesn't mean he's going to say yes. Even then, I knew enough of the life we're called to to understand that even things that we know are good, there are reasons if he doesn't answer them, there are reasons he doesn't answer them. And in this case, he said no. And there were good reasons for that. And again, our calling is eternal and to to keep focused on those eternal things. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, we read this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, I'm going to throw in real quickly, parenthetically, I want to have help all the time. That's not the case. Our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's what he cares about, and that's as we grow spiritually what we will care about, that inner man. For momentary, back to the scripture, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That is our focus. That is his focus for us. Our Father who art in heaven is not overly concerned with our physical lives, except as they further his purpose in our lives and in the world. We have, you know I love this term, we have sundry, wonderful promises in the Bible and wonderful applications for those promises, but it is not primarily on the temporal, but on the eternal. And that's why sometimes he tells us no or wait. So he's not our buddy, and he's not our genie. And this is another common look at God that is not true either. He's not obligated to us. He's not obligated to give us good things because he's a friendly old guy in the sky who generally likes us. He wants everybody to be happy and get along. That's not our holy God. And when we look at him that way, we are not hallowing his name. And it is because we slip into those thoughts from time to time that we have Matthew 6, 9-13, so we can gain our perspective back. I hear it a lot. People say, well, I, maybe I believe in God a little bit, but I don't believe he's just a, a nice old guy in the sky with a long beard. You know what? Neither do I, because that's not what he is. He's in heaven. Remember Ecclesiastes? And we're on the earth. He created us, and it was never supposed to be primarily about this life. And I say this sometimes, and I say this sometimes on Facebook, the real existential threat, as we have mentioned before, is not physical lives. Those things will happen. Calamities will happen. Viruses will happen. And the Bible is clear that our lives here is a short trip. It's a short, this is hard to say, it's a short sojourn. And then we have eternity. And Jesus, when he was here in person, called out, 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There was a very, very evil, rich man who just died in a prison cell, hanged. And it doesn't matter who hung him, hanged him. I think that's the right way to say it. It doesn't matter who killed him, whether it was himself or somebody else. He was an evil man under the judgment of God, and he exchanged all the money he had, enough to buy islands and planes and boats and know the richest people in the world. He exchanged all that for his soul. There is no profit for us to gain physical things, stuff, and forfeit our souls. That's why he's our Savior. Psalm 49 puts it this way, 5-10. through 10, Why should I fear in the days of adversity? I would add parenthetically 2020. Why should I fear in the days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surround me? even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever, that he should not live on eternally, or that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay, for he sees and that's the rich man, for he sees that even the wise men die, and the stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Our God does love us. Our Father who is in heaven does love us. He gives us good gifts. He gives us special gifts because we are his children. Some of those special gifts are trials, by the way. But he gives us special gifts, and then he gives to all his creation what theologians call common grace. It's all from him. All the good things are from him. But that's not the point of our lives. And whatever you have, you will die and lead to someone else. My poor children are going to have to wade through DVDs of Doctor Who and get smart. Green Acres. That's what I'm leaving to my kids, physically speaking. But this, again in Romans 3, is how holy our God is. 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, God's righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God he passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his, God's righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? Because we're such perfect people? No. That was my part. (laughs) No but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You will also remember in the book of Acts, Peter says to everyone who would hear, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. He's not our old grandfatherly type in heaven. 
He is the justifier of those who have faith. And he is the judge. And we saw in Ephesians, he gives us that faith as well, doesn't he? We've been over this because I go through it so much in my life, repenting before God. Psalm 51, against thee and thee only I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost judge. I know I'm speaking primarily to Christians, and I'm primarily positive and try to be motivating. I fall short of that. Prayerfully, the Word of God does what I can't do. But the Scripture also says in Ezekiel 18, verse 3 and 4, and you probably know this, As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins will die. And the reason we need to hallow his name is because the stakes are eternity. And I don't understand this at all. But even the stakes of our reward in heaven, whatever that is, however you, that gets explained, those are the eternal stakes that we're betting on. And I don't like to use the word that word betting, but you know that we're relying on. As followers of Jesus Christ, the church, we are not called to have the best stuff in the neighborhood. Thank you, Jesus, if he's given you the best stuff in the neighborhood. That's not our calling. Our calling is to preach and to live the gospel in front of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And when we hallow his name, we take that seriously as well. So if God is not our buddy or our genie or the friendly old guy in the heavens, who and what is he obligated to? Let's go back to Romans 8, 28, and 29 this time. Again, Romans 8, 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Whose purpose? His own purpose. He's obligated to himself. No one else. And what is his purpose? Verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he planned for us. He also predestined, he chose us. For what did he choose us? To become conformed to the image of his Son, that he, that's his Son, might be the firstborn born among many brethren. That's his will in your life and in mine as a child of God, is to be continually conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus. Paul further goes on, verse 30, And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's our salvation. It's God's sovereignty, our calling, our justification, and our glorification. And he, God, is in charge of all those things. One more time. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's the wondrous glory of our salvation. But the bottom line is, he is obligated to himself to choose, call, justify, and glorify, to conform us into the image of his Son. The holy God of the universe is obligated to himself. 
And that's why the gift of our salvation, the greatest gift we've ever been given or could ever hope for, far outstrips any temporal stuff we could have. And he gives us the temporal stuff too. And I know this is wrong. What I'm about to say, I know it didn't happen exactly this way, but in my mind, prayerfully sanctified imagination, and if there was a conversation in heaven in eternity past, like we view conversations now, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, their conversation might have sounded something like this. The Father, mankind is going to fall, and I want to give them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, this Ephesians as well, Ephesians 1, verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's what the Father said. I want my creation with me, holy and blameless, in love. And the Son would have said something like this. All right, I will be that sacrifice. Even though I exist in the form of God, again, amazing and beyond our comprehension. He said, I'm not going to regard that equity with a thing to be gra- as a thing to be grasped. But I will voluntarily empty myself take on the form of a bondservant, be made in the likeness of men, and become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Father said, this is my plan. The Son says, okay, I will be the sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, I will be their pledge. I will be their comforter. I will be their teacher. I will empower them throughout their lives. I know it didn't happen that way, but you can see the completeness of God. And the Father, in essence, said, Okay, Jesus, since you are going to be their Savior, I will give you gifts without number from among men, a bride, a pure bride. And so it's all beautifully wrapped up into God and who he is. And that, my beloved friends, is why he deserves to be revered. He deserves for us to hallow his name because he planned it, he carried it out, and he keeps it going, our salvation. And you know we have to go back to Psalm 119 just for a second. Psalm 119, 38. Establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence for thee. That's the call of David in this psalm. That's our call. Hallowed be thy name. I don't know how much in heaven we will look back on, but I don't think we're going to remember the stuff that we had. I think we're going to glory in the presence of God, his holiness, and his salvation for us. Again, we are called into the throne room of God. We have free access anytime for anything, as we have pointed out in the past. But again, I say today, we are coming into the throne room, not just any place, not to a king or a president. We come into the throne room to the holy, 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 God of the universe. We are called into his presence and it is glorious. And if you're ready to hear those things now, if they don't fit, we've talked about this already. Set them aside, put them in the back of your mind. Ask God to help you be ready for them. Who, by the way, was the disciple who Jesus loved? It was John, wasn't it? And what happened in Revelation 1 when John saw Jesus in his full glory? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. Even as intimate as John was 
when he saw the holy God of the universe in all his glory, he fell at his feet like a dead man. And the rest of the verse says, And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's his mercy and his grace that lifts us up. But his holy, august presence, like they used to say, knocks us down. It can't help do that because we are in the presence of the holy God of the universe. I don't want this to frustrate your prayer or to keep you from praying. But we do need to remember that we are moving into the holiest of holy when we come into the presence of God. And there's an element of reverence and awe when we do. But again, don't get frustrated. Keep praying. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And even though you're entering into the presence of the Almighty, the Holy, 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 may he give you his peace. Thank you once again for listening to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. We have been reminded over the last several weeks how important community is. Community is how you young people say it these days. In Fred's day, they called it fellowship. Fred and I would like to extend once again the invitation to expand our prayer community. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or would just like to dialogue over prayer, please remember, you can contact the podcast at freerangepreacher at gmail.com, Facebook, Free Range Preacher Ministries, Instagram, Free Range Ministries, Twitter, at Preacher Range, and for any voiceover needs, I'm at richarddurrington.com or email me at durringtonr at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. We're eager to hear from you. For Fred and myself, be blessed.